All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Now I know my ABCs. Won't you come and play with me? Flawless. Well, I guess you're free to... Give him the breathalyzer! Huh? You're under arrest. Don't! Think you can get this car home? Sure thing, giant beer! Last week, we told you the story about how Harvard worked with Hollywood to create a stealth media campaign in the 80s and 90s that got more people to act as designated drivers, so drunk driving killed fewer people. But now, going into 2017, we've got another problem on the roads. Distracted drivers. People glancing at their phones, sending a quick text, checking Snapchat. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this week... What if police had a new way of enforcing laws about using our technology while we're behind the wheel? Plus, a special request for you, dear listener, at the end of this show. The breathalyzer. It is the tool that police use to see if someone has been drinking and driving. And a version of the breathalyzer has been around for decades. We've actually got a picture of the Drunkometer from 1938 in our newsletter this week. But these days, distracted drivers are just as dangerous as drunk drivers. Oh, I define it as an impairment. Distracted driving is an impairment, just like drunk driving is an impairment. This is Ben Lieberman. I'm a novelist and an ex-financial professional. Ben knows firsthand just how destructive combining a cell phone with a moving vehicle can be. It was on Route 6 by the Bear Mountain Bridge. It's a really winding, daunting road. It's two-way traffic, and it's commercial also, so trucks can be coming in the other direction and that. In the summer of 2011, Ben's 19-year-old son, Evan, had just finished his first year at the University of Connecticut. He was back home in Chappaqua, New York. Yeah, the same hometown as Hillary and Bill Clinton. He and a bunch of friends were on that winding Route 6 during rush hour. They were on their way to their summer jobs. Evan was in the back seat with his seatbelt on when the driver of the car drove over a double yellow line and then head on into an oncoming Jeep. Rescue helicopters took two boys, including Evan, to the hospital. Another three were taken by ambulance. It was an unbelievably difficult situation, and... You know, my son was in the hospital for 30 days, and it was a real up-and-down battle. Uh, it was uh, a lot of hope sometimes, and then there was some, some, some major setbacks. And, and uh, you know, after 30 days, we lost him. And, and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, affects, it's, it just affects your whole family to the core. And when we were in the hospital, people were bringing up the question of, um, was the driver texting? And we, um, you know, we didn't care, you know. We had our own 
troubles. You know, initially the driver said that he uh, fell asleep at the wheel. Um, the story changed a couple of times. And it wasn't an easy process for us because, you know, as the story didn't make a lot of sense to us, it was also challenging somebody that, you know, actually did this and has to live with it. I mean, it was another 19-year-old boy that was driving the car. You know, somebody says they fell asleep. That's kind of it. But Ben started asking questions. He learned that police don't have to ask for cell phones at the scene of a crash or track down phone records as part of an investigation later. No breathalyzer was given at the time because the accident happened before 8 in the morning and there were no signs of drinking. Ben just couldn't believe that Evan's friend would fall asleep while driving on that busy road with a car full of his friends. So he and his wife decided to take on the investigation themselves. They started by filing a civil lawsuit separate from the police. We subpoenaed the phone records, and the phone records told a whole different story to us. It was texting throughout the drive and near the crash. Couldn't tell exactly what happened at the exact moment of crash because it was in a dead cell zone, which, you know, to me could be a, a distraction on steroids. Did the message go through? Do I have to retype it? That type of thing. But I'm speculating there. But there was enough texting through that drive to show me that it was a different story. What I also learned from that was that the um, phone was sitting in the car for weeks. It was in a junkyard, and it was towed away with the car. And it was just sitting there for the police to investigate it. But it was never investigated. At first, Ben thought, well, this must be a faulty investigation. He brought the phone records to the district attorney. The DA viewed the phone records and brought in front of a grand jury, and the grand jury didn't indict The driver had his license suspended for a year on five different accounts, one of them being, you know, driving with his cell phone while the um, car was in operation. So what you got to understand is only a few people in the country have gone to jail for killing somebody while texting and driving. Most U.S. states limit how much drivers can use handheld electronics in the car. No state has an all-out ban, though. I mean, it's not like police are going to pull you over for looking at Google Maps. Texting behind the wheel is illegal in almost all states. But the penalties are usually less severe than that for drunk driving. Under a new law in Pennsylvania, for example, texting and driving gets you a $50 ticket. Drinking and driving, first offense, that's a $300 ticket. Pennsylvania also just passed a new law where distracted drivers who kill or seriously injure others will face up to five years in prison. And yet, highway fatalities last year had the largest annual percentage increase in half a century, after declining for the previous 40 years in the U.S. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says... There's an average of eight people dying every day due to distracted driving. That makes it an epidemic. And there's a reason that it's gotten dramatically worse, and that's this dependence on technology. And who's, I mean, if you were to say who's to blame, is it the culture that makes us think we have to constantly be on our phone? Is it the way that the technology is built that makes it kind of, you know, the term addictive gets thrown around? Yes. <laughs> Both. All of it. <laughs> I mean, look, it's not that somebody's to blame. It's what really exists out there right now. But part of the collateral damage now is that our roads are a lot less safer because of this. You know, what we're trying to get is the mindset is that the average drive is 20 minutes and you're going from point A to B. And now you have the ability to turn that vehicle you're driving into a two-ton missile. 
Until society gets into that mindset, Ben has other plans. Creating technology that could make a police investigation at the scene of a crash, like the one that Evan was in, completely different. We kept hearing time and time again that there's no such thing as a breathalyzer for distracted driving. There's no such thing as a breathalyzer for distracted driving. And we got frustrated with that, so we kind of went out to try to create one. Get ready for the textilizer. Don't go away. We're back. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and we're hearing from Ben Lieberman. He lost his 19-year-old son, Evan, in a head-on collision five years ago. Ben is now determined to do something about distracted driving. Behavior changed with smoking, changed with drinking, driving, changed with seatbelts. Behavior could change. You know, I don't text and drive. I put the phone face down and I never look at it, you know. Ben started thinking, what could be a deterrent, a way to get other people to stop texting and driving? He started talking to state troopers who told him that there was a protocol for drunk driving, but not for distracted driving. I said, how many breathalyzer tests did you give this last year? And the guy was like, I don't know, I can't even count, a thousand? I said, how many times have you looked at the phone? And he said, zero. And I said, zero. I said, all these crashes, all these situations, none. And he said, we can't look at the phone. We're scared about getting fired. We're scared of getting sued for privacy issues. And it brings up a really good point. Like, what do you do? Basically, instead of being dealt with, it's hands off right now. And so we're not satisfied with that. Ben wanted to see, could he help create technology that wouldn't invade people's right to privacy? Like a tool that police could use right on the spot, like a breathalyzer, but for texting. Who could make such a thing? Ben did some research and found a company that makes forensic technology called Celebrate. And I asked him if... They could take the technology that they already have. Can you dumb it down so that you could be able to efficiently and quickly examine a phone but totally avoid infringing on anybody's privacy? In other words, I don't really care if somebody's texting their drug dealer or their gun dealer or their mistress or anything like that. I don't care what the conversation is. Just the fact that they were texting at or near a collision, would that be something that's possible? And by the way, when I say texting, it's a generic term. Obviously, what people are doing in the car is a lot more than texting. It's, you know, social media, it's selfies, it's internet browsing, and um, they said they could do it. Celebrate's technology can tell when a phone is being used at all, not just if it's making or getting texts or calls. That's what phone records can show. So it's 2015. Ben starts working with Celebrate, and then six months later, the company was all over the news, but for a very different reason. Four months after the San Bernardino terror attack, investigators finally have access to the work cell phone of gunman Syed Farouk. According to because if you sources, remember when Apple got into a dispute with the FBI over the San Bernardino terrorist iPhone and it couldn't get unlocked, there was a third party that unlocked that iPhone. And guess who that was? Uh, it was Celebrate. Apple refused to write software that unlocked the shooter's iPhone, saying if it unlocked it now, 
the company would have to make the software vulnerable for everyone. The FBI took Apple to court, testified against it on Capitol Hill, but then suddenly the standoff was over. No one really knew why. The FBI never really said what happened, but it's understood that Celebrite hacked the phone for them. So that was a company I've been dealing with, and that was kind of a mixed blessing because people understood that this might not just be science fiction, that this could really get done. But on the other hand, if you remember how polarizing that Apple versus FBI was, that there's plenty of people on the other side of that that just don't want any, you know, companies involved in any of this. Can you just describe what you and the company came up with, the idea that you have, and are you prototyping it? The best comparison to make this is a breathalyzer that police use now. It's directly dealing with when there's a crash because right now there's a law in the books that say that you can't text and drive, but there's no way to enforce it. So the idea behind the technology was to have a device that's similar to an iPad where the phone never leaves the uh, driver's hands. It plugs in, and in 90 seconds, it'll show you all activity that was illegal as opposed to legal, which is activating keyboards and typing, swiping the screens, and that type of thing. And to find that activity is very powerful, we think. Ben told me that out of a quarter million crashes in New York State in 2014, only 64 of them were recorded as being caused by distracted driving. Because that cause is difficult to prove. Right now, if somebody is drunk and drives through a red light and hits your car and breaks bones... There's a protocol and there's a technology right there that identifies the problem. Frankly, the person that drove into your car is going to have issues. They're going to have financial issues. And frankly, they're going to have social issues that they did this kind of damage and they did it while they were drunk. That's the system that's in place. If that same person was on email, barrel through a red light, break some of your bones, there's nothing in place. And a knee-jerk reaction that some people say is, well, you could just get the phone records. It's a very inaccurate thing to say because right now email won't show up on a phone record. Any internet activity is not going to show up on a phone record. AT&T did a very good study and it showed that basically whatever people are doing outside the car, they're doing it inside the car. So people are on Snapchat, they're on Facebook, Instagram, browsing the web, taking selfies and that type of thing. None of that's going to show up on a phone record. So if somebody barrels through a red light and hits you where they're on email, Or if they're drunk, there's a huge difference in the way that's viewed, and it really shouldn't be. And I think you're saying it in multiple ways, not just the financial implications and the social implications that happen if you get done for drunk driving and, of course, the legal implications. But there's a real stigma around it. Like, how could you be such a freaking idiot? And there's not the stigma is what you're saying, I feel like it's like kind of a dirty little secret. A lot of people say like, "Ugh, I know I shouldn't, but I do. So what we're talking about is a moment that we get people to stop, they get in the car, and maybe it's a thing where you're like, I don't know, put it on airplane mode. Maybe that's the thing that you do when you get in the car. It's a stigma if you don't have it on airplane mode or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I think people that understand this dangerous behavior somewhere in the area of 85%. And yet the people that admit to doing it is somewhere in the area, 67%. The average text is 4.5 seconds, and at 55 miles an hour, that's like driving a football field blindfolded. Enforcement isn't just for making uh, a victim's family feel justified. It's not for that. 
only. I mean, it actually helps in the sense that we understand the problem, and if people are being punished for it, it acts as a determinant for everybody. Which brings us back to the textilizer, the tool that could help police figure out immediately, at the scene of a crash, if distracted driving might be to blame. A bipartisan bill has been introduced in New York, which would let police use textilizers. The bill is called, fittingly, Evans Law, named after Ben Lieberman's son. And if it passes, New York would become the first state to use such technology. I guess my last question is, I'm sure this you've imagined in your mind the moment, you know, your goal of having the legislation passed and the technology in place to make distracted driving illegal and provable and maybe even make it less common. What will you feel if that happens? No, I, I think I'd feel better. You know, I, th- I really think I'll feel better. You know, honestly, it's nothing's going to make me feel good. You know, there's something in me that's like gone now. And so I'll never feel 100% again. But I, I'd feel a lot better, you know, knowing that what we learned from this can be transformed into something positive that could benefit some other people. So that that's what we're aiming for. So, yeah, I think I'd feel pretty good about that. Ben Lieberman, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest. By the way, Ben Lieberman's advocacy group is called DORCS, Distracted Operators Risk Casualties. It's at D-O-R-C-S dot org. And New York State does have a slogan to warn people about distracted driving. Okay, here's the slogan. Smartphone, dumb choice. Don't text and drive. I had never heard that slogan until I was doing research for this story. Okay, now, my friends, as we wrap up, some news from the Note to Self team. For the past two years, we have done these big interactive projects with you, challenge weeks to get you rethinking how you use your phone or consume information. Now we want to get you thinking about your digital privacy. We are working really hard to put together this project so that it is even bigger and more impactful. I kind of hate that word, but yes, impactful. But we need your help, okay? So we are telling you right here, right now, please go to privacyparadox.org. The Privacy Paradox is the name of our next project. Our official sign-up doesn't happen until January, but we figured you insiders would want to know first. When you go to privacyparadox.org, we've got a special survey just for Note to Self listeners. We're still shaping the project, and so as always, we need your input on a few things. And actually, the survey is really fun, and it's quick. So please, take a moment, take the survey, be the first to sign up for the Privacy Paradox. Because society's at a tipping point, and we are going to influence where the conversation goes next, together. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Jenna Cagle, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Rachel Neal and Anna Burke for her help, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thank you for listening and taking the survey. <laughs>